You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for downloading our show today. I hope you're having a great week. I can't believe it's already been the fourth Sunday since Easter. Pentecost is going to be on us before we know it. And today, we're going to continue our conversation about education. And we had a great guest last week, Melody Wittenbach. And if you haven't listened to her, she is from the Roche Center for Catholic Education at Boston University. But today, we're going to go to the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, and we're going to talk with my friend Bill Brannick. Bill is the Director of Educational Technology for Pre-K to Grade 12 in the school system in the Archdiocese. And Bill and I will talk about the role of technology in the classroom, how the schools in the Archdiocese have been adapting to homeschooling over the past six weeks. We're going to talk about Bill's approach to coaching teachers and students through this crisis. And we'll also talk about some of the generous benefactors who are helping them move past this crisis. And so, without further ado, here is Bill Brannick. Well, Bill, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here today. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Bill is the Director of Technology for Pre-K to 12 in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. I'm sure that your hands have been incredibly full lately, and I'm excited to talk with you about that and how you're seeing the educational landscape changing a bit here, huh? Yeah, it's been uh, the past couple of uh, months have been rather unique and certainly busy, but it has been a unique time and wonderful time to be able to see how both you know our teachers and our students are responding. I'm sure, I'm sure. If we're going to talk about educational technology, does it make sense to kind of break it up into smaller chunks? Because I'm sure that as you look at pre-K and kindergarten, that might be one group. As you look at elementary and middle school, that might be another group. And then, of course, our high school students, our secondary students are kind of in a different category. When you think about maybe all three of those groups, you know, how were you set up to support educational technology in the archdiocese before this crisis happened? Yeah, so we were we were really fortunate um, about six years ago to be able to really develop the technology department in the archdiocese and in support of the schools. And the uh, the biggest key that we had the opportunity to add were technology integration coaches. You know, those individuals who were specifically able to to go and work with the teachers, whether it be one-on-one, small group, or a whole group, um, to be able to help them learn, know, and do, uh, you know, integrating technology into the classroom. Um, you know, so from that perspective, we've been, you know, not necessarily preparing for this, uh, but certainly looking at opportunities to be able to, you know, increase engagement through technology, prepare for, you know, the use of cyber snow days um, to be able to utilize so our schools didn't lose a lot of instructional time. Um, but it's really that has been the primary support that we've had. And then from, you know, the the, the IT perspective, we have um, three senior network uh, IT folks, you know, who support us as well on a day-to-day basis, along with the local support that our elementary schools and our high schools have. That's terrific. So that that uh, educational technology coach, it's really, a, a, that's a position that interests me because I, I would imagine that when you have teachers uh, who have been teaching for three years versus teachers that have been teaching for 30 years, everybody has different gifts and different levels of experience with technology in general. And certainly I know teachers go through in-services all the time, but what does the support of a technology coach, what do they offer? 
So they offer the opportunity to really to be able to dig in deep with the tools that the teachers have the opportunities to be able to use um, and engaging, you know, looking to engage the students to really have more personalized and uh, deeper learning outcomes, you know, because of the technology. And it's that, you know, that question of, well, what can we do that we haven't been able to do before? And whether it's the opportunity to give the students their own voice um, where maybe they wouldn't have it otherwise, the opportunity to be able to assess students and turn around and apply different pathways you know, for them on a quicker, more efficient timeframe than what we traditionally have. It's to be there with the teacher, you know, elbow to elbow and answer their questions, show them, you know, opportunities that uh, that maybe they didn't know about of how to be able to engage the kids in those new technologies. And really just to be there for a resource, to be a coach, to be somebody who is there to be able to provide feedback that isn't necessarily going to go into an evaluation. They're really there just as a support person for the teachers. Is there like a philosophy that these uh, technology coaches use with the teachers? I would, I mean, this uh, technology isn't meant to replace learning in the classroom, right? It's meant to enhance what you're already doing in, in different ways. Yeah. And, and you led into it right there with the idea of enhancement. So we use what is called the triple E framework. It was developed by a professor out of the University of Michigan, Dr. Liz Cobb. It's really a simplified way to be able to look at how technology enhances extends the lesson and engages the students. You know, so looking at our traditional lesson plan, how are we out through technology? Are we able to engage those uh, those students in more meaningful ways? How are we able to extend what that lesson does? You know, taking it from the classroom and then taking it out into the real world and then how technology enhances those things. So, you know, in looking at it, really trying to be able to provide the opportunity for teachers to look at, at technology in relevant ways, you know, and not just we want to do A, so we have to do B. But how do they really blend it into their lesson planning on a daily basis? Make it seamless. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. So tell us about uh, what it was like. Let's go back six, seven weeks when all of this is suddenly, you know, coming down. And I'm sure your phone and your email is full. And how was that transition for the students in the archdiocese? And again, you know, if you think about it in different chunks, I'm sure that it was different for parish elementary and, and parochial elementary and middle schools versus high schools. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. So I think overall, you know, surprisingly for us, it happened relatively seamlessly. And that was one of the, the biggest surprises. You know, certainly we had a little bit of a runway, an idea that, that something was going to happen. Right. And, um, you know, both from, you know, our Catholic schools, but also our neighboring public districts, you know, everybody was getting ramped up. So the Friday before, I, I, I believe, ironically, I believe it was Friday, um, March 13th, Everybody was was in a essentially preparation mode. And um, I actually was in one of our elementary schools when the announcement officially came out that, you know, we were going to be closed for those first two weeks. But overall, within literally a 48 hour period, our schools went from brick and mortar, you know, face to face instruction to online instruction. You know, certainly there were some bumps in the road, but uh, to see you know, all of our schools, 122 of them transition relatively easily. It was something to really be proud of. That's tremendous. And obviously a testament to the work you had already done with them and laying the framework for all this. 
What were some of the snags that you found? I mean, I'm sure that not every school had the same level of technology. What, what are some of the challenges that you've been troubleshooting in the field? I think a part of access is always something that, you know, every school, you know, struggles with and making sure that there's uh, appropriate and equitable access at home. Relying on information from home to be able to get the data is important. And um, and it's something that, you know, as a parent, I look at and you struggle with, well, what do you want the school to know? So certainly as we've gone through this process, we've learned more and more as far as where the holes are that we need to be able to cover, both from a device standpoint and also from internet access. So, you know, the thing we've been very fortunate to have some uh, some funders step up and provide, you know, emergency grants that we've been able to get uh, additional devices, but also putting essentially a menu in place as far as internet access and providing options for our parents to be able to choose from, you know, what best fits their needs to be able to make sure that they have internet access at home as well. Yeah, I know working with a client of my own down in uh, the Philadelphia area, Comcast has stepped up in a big way to provide some internet services. Have, have others, other major corporations like that played a role? Yeah, so Comcast has always had their Internet Essentials program. One of the big benefits that they did during this pandemic is that they've increased their speed, their bandwidth speeds, okay. um, which really helps support, you know, the students in doing those, you know, virtual calls and getting connected to the learning management system of the school. But you also see um, companies like Sprint and T-Mobile, Verizon, you know, stepping up to be able to provide hotspot access to folks as well. So it comes in unique ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You do see, you know, companies that are stepping up to the forefront here to be able to support our parents and our kids. Going back to coaching the teachers, uh, originally the focus is obviously helping them to enhance the learning that's already happening in the classroom. Now you take a teacher and you say, okay, we're going to bring all that home and you only have one way to access your students and that's through a screen, through the, through the computer. What are some of the different skill sets as a teacher you need to learn to be able to effectively manage a class now through email, through Zoom, through the rest of it? What, what are you seeing? Uh, yeah, I think one of the biggest skill sets is patience, right? <laughs> you know, because, you know, everybody, you know, mainstream media, you know, educators were all talking about online learning, how everybody has done this great job flipping over to online learning, which, which by and far, everybody has. But this isn't traditional online learning. You know, right. this is emergency learning, you know, and I heard heard that phrase, um, I saw that phrase on, on social media from someplace. So that's not, I'm not coining that. But what we're doing is really in an emergency situation. So, you know, the biggest thing that we recommended was just start with what you're already using. Don't try to stretch and don't try to do too much. So that's really where, you know, I say a little bit tongue in cheek, but where patience really comes in. But then once once you've had, you know, those lesson plans moving, you know, through what you're already using, then start to look and and talk with your colleagues and see what what they're using, see what's effective, you know, and then take another step. Be willing to fail, be willing to, um, you know, to try something that you're not familiar with and let your students and your parents, and certainly depending on their age, know that you're going to try something new. This is what you're hoping the outcome will be. But for them to have patience as well, you know, as you progress through this new thing. But I think also, you know, one of the bigger things is just the understanding that we don't know exactly what the learning environment looks like at home. And to have, you know, some understanding that you ask for something to be turned in, you know, by a certain time frame or on a certain day. But if it comes in late, you know, that's okay. And have, you know, have some compassion and understanding as far as, you know, what's going on at home likely doesn't look the same, you know, in every environment. 
So, Bill, of course, you know, there are students who were uh, struggling uh, grade-wise, academic-wise uh, before the pandemic, and, and certainly um, they're probably, many of them are still struggling now. Uh, how do you reach out to those kids who, um, who may have been struggling before, might need a little bit of extra attention, but you don't have that personal one-on-one contact? What, what are you seeing the teachers do now? Yeah, I, I think they're still trying to provide some of that one-on-one. Obviously, it's a little bit different virtually. Uh, but taking the opportunity to be able to to connect with them, uh, the students and the parents, you know, individually, whether it is, you know, via video call, um, trying to provide some extra support or just letting them know that, you know, that they're there um, is a big key piece. You know, trying to do some different things where it's not just providing feedback via Google Doc, but maybe doing a, a, a voice recording, you know, just to show, um, you know, show compassion and care through their voice, show some empathy that, you know, that they're there to be able to help the students, you know, get through whatever they're struggling with, you know, doing a lot of things that are not just in the group, you know, not just bringing everybody to get together, but reaching out to those students, you know, in a one-on-one uh, method is is really important, you know, and, and the teachers, I think, you know, have re- really been doing a, a nice job supporting these kids one-on-one, you know, not just trying to force feed everything through, you know, through the whole class. You know, it is so interesting, isn't it? I feel like we're learning a whole different, and, and for adults too, we're all learning a whole different social norm here, what it means to communicate and relate to people on a video conference. You know, yes. <laughs> you know, how should we, how should we dress? You know, what's appropriate for a video conference? You know, some people are wearing a, a suit from the waist up and pajama bottoms from the waist down, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So it's interesting. And then passing that on to the kids. You know, you talked a little bit about some ways in which some of your benefactors or donors for the archdiocese are helping to support you during this time. How are you seeing it with some of the schools that may may be underserved, whether they be inner city schools or rural schools uh, in the archdiocese that um, may not be up to speed? Uh, how are they adapting to, to this change? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, much like anything, it, it's really, you know, putting a focus on data, you know, and trying to identify what are the specific needs. As I alluded to earlier, we were fortunate to have um, a couple of our local foundations step up to be able to provide, you know, support, you know, but what we're also finding is that, you know, schools are still identifying where those holes are. Right. Um, You know, so a a lot of people think that, you know, just because this all started in mid-March, you know, we have everything cleaned up and, you know, taken care of now. Yeah, that's not the case. I mean, it, I think it's going to take some time, even through the summer, you know, to be able to identify exactly, you know, what needs to be done, what needs to be, um, you know, polished off, you know, so that if we look at next year, you know, things run a little bit more smoothly as as we go into the next academic year in preparation to start face to face or to start, you know, online or to transition back to it at some point during the next academic. year. Well, you're um, you're kind of leading into my next question here. So, how, has this changed the way we look at academics, the way we look at learning? I mean, what uh, what lessons do you think that we're learning from this whole this whole experience? I think there's a lot that is still left to be written. I certainly think the benefit is that you know we have a, a tremendous number of teachers, you know, throughout all of our schools um, that provide great education to our kids on a daily basis. You know, I think. In any educational institution, there's a resistance to change, right? It's always worked. So, you know, I'm always going to do, you know, what I've done. And I think, you know, for some of those educators that, that were looking at it and just saying, you know, no, I'll, I'll, I'll do some things, but I really like what I do. I think they, they've seen that through this process that there is an effective way to be able to bring in technology and that there are ways to really to be able to engage kids 
that are going to be effective both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. And that, you know, the whole piece of, you know, 24-7 learning, that learning now extends beyond the walls of the classroom, you know, is, is being proven that it can. You know, what I really hope is that when we get back to a face-to-face -face instruction, that we really take advantage of what we have learned mm -hmm. to really to be able to drive engagement both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. And that there is a uniqueness as far as what technology can bring to us to enhance education, not to replace the teacher, but to enhance the educational opportunities that these kids have and our ability to be able to leverage that. It sounds like the greatest step we took forward then from what I'm hearing you say is maybe our attitude or our mindset around technology, that it's something that maybe it's it was an option that I looked at before, but now it's it's more it's going to be part of my daily routine. I've got to incorporate technology into my lesson planning. I've got to use it to reach out to my students, even after I'm back in the classroom, though, maybe they're going to be more open to it in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the challenges that we have is that, um, you know, the ed tech community has been great, you know, and very responsive during this pandemic. Um, and all of the, the platforms that have traditionally been a subscription model, you know, these companies have opened up for teachers to use for free through the end of the academic year. The challenge now becomes for us, you know, as central office leadership is to be able to figure out ways that when those companies go back to their subscription model, how we can pay for our teachers and those tools to be able to continue to use them. Because we can't ask our teachers to, you know, go change their, their methodology, learn new tools, put them in their tool belt, and then go into the next academic year and say, oh, by the way, you don't have those tools anymore. Oh, great point. And if we go back into this situation, you know, figure it out all over again. So we really need to be able to look at creative ways, whether it's through some of the, you know, state or federal funding that's going to, to come out or through it, um, you know, modifying our own budgeting process. But how we have the opportunity to be able to pay for, you know, these tools now that our teachers have invested themselves in their own time in and learning to be able to engage these kids. Because all these tools, they're great for, you know, this online modality, but they're really good, too, in the classroom, yeah. you know, and just engaging kids. So we want to make sure that we can keep these tools in the, in the tool belts of the teachers. Are there any, any schools uh, or any teacher examples you could give us? Anybody who's really shined? I'm sure there's a lot of them in, in archdiocese your size. Who, who's, who really stands out in your mind? Uh, I know you can't play, play favorites, Bill. But. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it's challenging because watching social media and seeing all the great things that our schools and our teachers and our parents are doing, you know, it's hard to pick out, you know, a couple of examples. But I think some of the things even go beyond just the education. You know, I, I think some of the big things that our schools are doing uh, is just keeping the community while everybody's home, while everybody's distant, making sure that everybody's still aware that you're part of a community, you know, St. Jude up in Chalfont hosting a, a drive-by parade to say hi to the principal and to the teachers, you know, mm -hmm. Cardinal Foley in, in Havertown, all of the students through their, their home and school association, putting together a message to the teachers about how much they miss them. St. Anastasia in Newtown Square, continuing community by hosting online trivia nights. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, St. Hubert's and, and J.W. Hallahan in the city um, hosting virtual open houses to be able to make sure that, you know, the kids coming in still have opportunities to be able to learn about the schools. 
Cardinal O'Hara in Springfield, uh, the high school, you know, holding morning prayer, you know, every day led by different students. Bonner and Prendy over in Drexel Hill doing uh, virtual rosary rallies multiple times, you know, during uh, this time that the kids have been home. So, you know, these examples just go on and on and on. And, you know, these are outside the learning examples that, you know, that the teachers are really just doing awesome things with as far as connecting with their classes, whether it's, you know, through video conferencing or through different apps where, you know, the students have an opportunity to respond to prompts and, you know, they can still see each other. You know, that opportunity to continue to have community that our kids are really, you know, thirsting for, you know, during this time. And, you know, obviously it's not perfect, but still keeping that connection, you know, within the community has, I think, has been by far, you know, the great things that our schools and our teachers have been doing. I've seen many of those things you mentioned. Our own parish school, which all three of my kids went through, St. Anne's, uh, just put Seussical uh, the Musical up on Zoom, and they did the whole thing, did many of the songs. It was really impressive. Uh, and that is yeah, a, that, that's a labor of love, right? I mean, that takes a lot of coordination, a lot of time. But like you say, it builds community. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think any school community, um, you know, certainly through this time, you know, the the kids come in and the friendships that they build, the relationships that they build with their teachers, with their principals, the administrators, the staff, to have that ripped away, you know, so quickly, you know, to have that uncertainty of, of when you would go back and it's going to be another two weeks or it's going to be another, you know, three weeks. And then all of a sudden, you're just not so important to to keep that engagement just for the teachers and for the kids to know that they're there for each other. Earlier, I talked about, um, you know, being at a school uh, to help them, you know, think through their planning, you know, when the announcement came out that we were going to be there. You know, a teacher really made a profound impact on me because during that, you know, I kept talking about making sure that you keep engaged with the kids. We need to make sure that the kids know that we're there. And Towards the end, a teacher literally, you know, said to me with tears rolling down her face, she said, you know, Bill, I fully understand what you're talking about as far as keeping, you know, the kids understanding them knowing that we're there. She said, you know, it's important for us to have the kids there as well. You know, they are as much a part of our lives as we are a part of theirs. Exactly. And, you know, this this whole thing, you know, has just rocked us in so many different ways that, you know, we really appreciate um that community that we have, uh, those relationships that we have and, you know, both in, you know, in our colleagues and, you know, in the students and and vice versa. It's been really important to to keep those measures, you know, moving. There really is. The the human factor is so easy to lose, but our our schools and, and our parishes too have done a tremendous job in reaching out to their communities. So, Bill, what does the summer look like for you uh, since you guys aren't going back? What's, what are your plans to get ready for next year? That's a big key piece. We've already started planning various scenarios for next year. I think one piece that you know I talked about with you know trying to provide the tools for the teachers, uh, it's going to be a lot working with companies to look at quote-unquote district pricing or licensing. You know, We're looking at cohorts of schools that want to be able to use certain tools. Obviously, working with our vendors to make sure that we have enough devices for, you know, for our kids or our teachers so that, you know, should we have to transition this learning, you know, either to start the school year 
or at some point in the year that we have an opportunity to do so seamlessly, along with all of our normal projects that we do, you know, in, in supporting our schools and their network infrastructures and refreshing our devices. So that that brings up kind of my last question. What what, do, what does it look like in the fall if this happens again? Obviously, you're going to be better prepared. You're going to have best practice, some some best practices in place. But um, but what what do you think that looks like? If we're still still either still in lockdown or we have to go to another lockdown because they say this thing could come back in the fall. Yeah, you know, I certainly think we'll have an opportunity to be able to reflect on what we learned. I think we'll be in a much better position in regards to what the structure looks like, what the expectations are. I think a big piece that you know, that we need to be able to recognize, you know, not only for now, but moving forward um, are our parents, you know, and the role that they're playing. And, you know, Jim, we started off this by by kind of looking at things in buckets in the pre-K and K and, you know, early elementary, middle school and high school. And I think one of the big things that we, you know, we really need to be able to to look at and learn and understand and, and try to see how we can support better, you know, are our early elementary kids, our older elementary and our high school kids, are to a degree, you know, much more independent and can can keep track of their, you know, their assignments and their work. And so, you know, early elementary kids that, you know, our parents are really have been frankly rock stars, you know, with, with supporting the education and, um, you know, the learning of the kids. Our teachers have done great work there, but we have to try to see, you know, what we can do to help those parents out. And I don't know if there's a perfect answer. I don't know if there's an answer at all. You know, looking at this and moving forward as a parent of young kids, obviously as an educator, continue to pray that um, that we can go back to to face to face. Certainly, certainly plan that we are either going to open up the school, you know, in this form, the school year in this form, or transition back to it at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill, this has been a, a great conversation and uh, always great to see you. And I appreciate everything you're doing. You know, um, if there's one guy who can figure this out, I know it's you. You've done a fantastic job <laughs> over the years bringing the Archdiocese up to speed on on technology and being a great resource to the schools. And uh, I think the future is bright, uh, no matter what direction we have to go in, in the future. Well, Jim, I appreciate that. And um, certainly always good to see you and to talk to you. You know, just appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about it, you know, what we're doing here in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. I want to thank Bill for being on our show today. Bill, thanks for all you do for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Clearly, the Archdiocese is in good hands. And just for all you're doing to move technology forward, I know that it's a role model for other dioceses who are looking to impact their schools through technology. Clearly, you guys were ready for this crisis and uh, continue to make an impact on so many families around uh, the five-county area. Also, a big thank you and congratulations to all the presidents, principals, faculty, and staff of the schools of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia for adapting through this crisis, the countless hours that you've obviously put in to keep all of our parents and our students engaged. And we're so grateful for all you do to make a difference in the lives of children around the Archdiocese. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. Take care and God bless.